Welcome to episode number 22 of the Gimme Golf podcast powered by MyrtleBeachGolfTrips.com. I'm your host, Meredith Kirk. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast. Today, Chris King and I are joined by General Manager Dave Ginevro of Barefoot Resort and Golf as these courses are celebrating 20 years of great golf. Dave has been there from the start, so no one knows these courses better than he does. Barefoot Resort and Golf, which includes the Dye Club, home to the most decorated multi-course golf resort in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Barefoot Golf Resort was designed by Hall of Fame players and architects Greg Norman, Davis Love III, Tom Fazio, Pete Dye. They produced the perfect setting for some of the East Coast top golf layouts. Each one achieved their goal of creating unique, visually striking, and fun-to-play courses. Each Barefoot Resort golf course has been ranked by every major golf publication. It has been the host site to Golf Channel's hit TV show, Big Break Myrtle Beach, and was awarded as the number one top 50 courses of Myrtle Beach as well as the golf course of the year. Wow. Uh, Barefoot Resort in Golf. This is amazing. Dave and Chris, thanks for coming on the show today. We have a lot to cover because it's a phenomenal facility that you have, Dave. Thank you very much. Uh, I've been very fortunate to be there since the beginning, and uh, I enjoy going to work each and every day. Yeah, well, I want to talk about that. You have been there since the beginning. How long ago was that? Were we talking 20-plus years now? Uh, yes, we are. We just had our 20th anniversary, April 13th. I moved in March of 2000. I was here, I believe my first day of work was March 28th. Uh, and uh, moved from a very rural area in Pennsylvania down to uh, Myrtle Beach, which was uh, obviously has in the last 20 years has grown dramatically. And uh, being part of the four-course facility from the very beginning was really exciting. What was that like? I mean, coming down here w- when the course was being built, was it in the latter stages when you came down? I mean, you guys weren't fully opened, right, when you took your role at the course. That's correct. Uh, the, it was grown in, uh, and it was maturing. They were maintaining it as if it was being played every day, mm-hmm. and there were rounds being played those first couple of weeks, but it was mostly people within the industry, um, writers, uh, sports uh, celebrities. We had a mm-hmm. lot of different people that came down, bankers that were helping us get right. to where we needed to get to. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we first came on site. We had to drive in from the back out on 90 and Water Tower Road uh-huh. to get to the golf courses because the bridge wasn't completed. Uh, and so we were coming in the back way and driving into work. And, you know, when you're driving on a dirt road, muddy, especially after <laughs> rain, and you're coming in and all of a sudden these four beautiful golf courses, uh, you just you drive up and there they are you know pristine because they've been grown in for the last you know eight to nine months and just ready for people to come and start playing them so it was really exciting oh that is and it's so dazzling on the bridge when you when you're driving there and you see the courses i mean what a beautiful facility now chris you being a writer did you have the opportunity to be one of those players out on the course well not at that point that was actually you know i was thinking that was it opened just about the time that I moved down here. We got here in May of 2000. So, um, you know, again, it was it was on the front end of the opening there. And I think, you know, you had read the list of awards for Barefoot. And impressive as they are, I, I, I don't even know that may pale in comparison to the idea that you actually opened all four of those golf courses on the same day. 
That's correct. I, yeah, that's correct. I, um, to my recollection, I've had uh, haven't had anybody call us out on this. It's the only time anybody's opened up four courses simultaneously in the United States, and that was a challenge. I mean, a lot of times a person will they'll build uh, a course or two courses, open them, and then continue to build the other two, and then bring them on as you know mm-hmm. cash flow allows. But in this case, all four he wanted all four open the same day, and and we did that, and it was fun. You had talked about, you know, hey, you were you were here from the beginning before those courses opened. What, was there ever a point that you're like, hey, I've moved down here from a, a you know a rural part of Pennsylvania, and I am I am here in the midst of opening. You know what? I I don't think it's unfair to say that the opening of Barefoot was the most anticipated debut of of any mm-hmm. golf course in the history of the area. Um, and did you ever look around and like, wow, what have I gotten myself into here? <laughs> <laughs> I, I did, and you know, and I don't think I realize um, the magnitude of it at the beginning. And what I mean by that is the first couple of weeks is uh, just getting ready to open. But then once we opened, and uh, and then once we, I was hearing, you know, the people coming off the golf courses, and and obviously all the infrastructure wasn't in place at that time. The clubhouses, neither clubhouse was was completed yet. They were under construction. But they weren't completed so you know you didn't have the whole experience there but uh, the remarks that we were getting as far as the conditions of the golf courses and and when they finished their day and they said I can't believe what what this place has and I can't wait to come back when it's 100% complete it's going to be unbelievable and uh, and for that reason we've been very successful the last 20 years to say you know you had, you had talked about some of the infrastructure not being complete and I, a part of that was the the, the swing bridge uh, you know initially didn't operate properly it didn't open and close the way that it was supposed to which forced people if uh, memory serves me correctly to, to take a pontoon boat from from one side of the intercoastal to the other is that one of those things that when it happened I'm, I'm sure that when you heard that everybody was kind of like oh my god I mean that right like that's one of those things that puts a pit in your stomach but then in hindsight that you guys kind of kind of look back on fondly Yes, we do. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not. I couldn't sit here and tell you that our owner wasn't upset when they turned the bridge <laughs> oh, in, no, and sure. it was off over 20 <laughs> inches. Uh, but he is a very unique person, and uh, and he said we're still going to open. And you know, and he he called, and we got pontoon boats that picked people up at Greg Norman's dock, right at Greg Norman's Australian Grill, and we built a quick dock on the in the Dye Estates, and we uh, picked people up there, drove them over, loaded them onto a van, and and uh, you know, asked, are you playing a die club? Or are you playing at one of the resort courses? And we delivered them in a parking lot that was still being paved. Uh, again, if it was raining, it could have been a muddy parking lot. <laughs> there was more than once uh, that there was a numerous uh, bag drop and myself pushing the van that maybe got stuck <laughs> in a muddy place after we unloaded the golfers. But uh, it is memories. And the people that played during that time, we still have them. They still come to the club. They still visit us, a lot of them on an annual basis. And as good as they say everything is right now they still feel that that first time they played it was the best memory stayed driving at the end of a 36 hole day on the waterway as the sun was going down mm-hmm. back over to greg norman's grill is something they'll always remember i bet that was beautiful yeah oh well, no question i mean again it, it's funny the things that we sometimes see as challenges you know kind of in hindsight mm-hmm. i mean look and it was a challenge but 
you know, it may have added to the uh, to the allure some there in those uh, those early days. But did, did y'all ever have trouble loading uh, loading clubs onto the uh, the pontoon boat? Yes, there was uh, numerous times that uh, you know we had people on both sides. I worked the golf course side. The uh, first assistant was hired with me was working the side on uh, Greg Norman's Australian Grill. Um, many times I lost communication with him by radio because his radio fell off his his belt into the waterway. <laughs> we had <laughs> golf clubs that dumped out into the waterway oh, so there, no. there were some uh, additional costs associated with uh, the <laughs> pontoon boat going back and forth but uh, but again it was all fun and uh, the unique experience for the customer is something that as I said earlier is something that they'll remember for a long long time maybe you should bring the pontoon boats back and charge like just a small fee and have that experience again wouldn't that be fun I mean you just celebrated 20 years maybe Maybe you should do that for a couple of months. That'd you know, that's fun. a good idea, Meredith. That's <laughs> something that I think people would definitely take advantage of uh, yeah. because it was a lot of fun, especially in the evenings Very, and uh, going for a ride. Yeah, just so nostalgic. I want to talk a little bit about the designs. I mean, four different designs. Maybe for our listeners right now who have never played barefoot, what are they to expect with these different designs? I mean, which course would you suggest playing first? I mean, you, you, you know what's best for the golfers coming out here. Yeah, uh, I get asked that question quite often. So normally, uh, especially when people are coming down here, and let's go by spring season, they're coming a lot of people from northeast that haven't played much golf for a period of time. Uh, we have a lot of people that they'll play the, the Norman course first. It's probably the easiest out of the four courses. Mm-hmm. Not that it's easy, but the easiest. It has seven holes along the intercoastal waterway. Uh, beautiful design, southwestern-style design, greens, very uh, subtle, uh, uh, flat greens where variety of shots you know in close to the greens uh really pretty holes the holes on the waterway the 10th hole uh depending on the tee box anywhere from 200 yards to 115 yards with the intercoastal waterway if you miss right with the wind predominantly blowing towards the waterway Mm -hmm. you know a front right or back right pins uh trying to get it close it's scary because uh, you you don't there's no margin for error not very much margin for error uh, Davis Love Course, I always tell everybody it's my favorite of the four courses. Uh, not that it's a better golf course. I just love the design. Very generous off the tee. Uh, the green's a lot like Pinehurst Number 2, crowned with collection areas. So when the course is, is, is playing hard, firm, and fast, uh, missing over or left or right on those greens makes it very difficult to get up and down. Uh, so, but a fun golf course to play. Mm-hmm. It's uh, They always, when asked for advice, is, you know, if, if, don't go pin seeking unless you're playing really well or you're hitting some short shots in because some of the greens are really small middle of the green you usually still have a, a makeable birdie putt mm-hmm. but a lot of fun to play uh, Tom Fazio uh, is visually the most appealing to the eye if you like to play a golf course that when you stand up on a tee and you look out say, wow this is beautiful mm-hmm. that's what you're going to say when you play the Fazio course so many holes a lot of fa- uh, bunkers fairway bunkers more than any of the other golf courses and uh, forward into bunkers a lot of times not a chance to 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 get home in your second shot or third shot depending on what hole you're playing uh, a lot of time you're just trying to hit a wedge or a nine iron out and then leave yourself a third shot in and hope to make a putt uh, mm-hmm. for par because uh, getting forward in those bunkers take a lot of times takes away the chance of you having the club that you can reach the green but beautiful the last seven eight holes uh, a lot of the natural sandy areas 
that that uh, Mr. Fazio left just beautiful to play and it and he created more undulation on his course than any of the others also he moved more dirt uh, than than the others because he likes that mm -hmm. and it definitely gives a lot of character to the golf course and last but certainly not least um, the Pete Dye course uh, definitely considered the hardest golf course we have at barefoot uh the a lot there are players that'll play at one time and, um, and they say it's just too tough but there's a lot of players that'll play it that first time and it becomes a challenge to them that they yeah. want to play it again <laughs> because because the course ate their lunch and right. they, you know <laughs> if they normally shoot uh, 85 and they go out there and shoot 95 or 98 they don't want to leave it that way exactly. uh, and it's the kind of golf course that uh, always say that uh, you learn where not to hit it or where not to miss it mm -hmm. there's certain holes that uh, you know I'm not saying you're gonna make par if you hit it left but if you hit it right you're gonna make double or higher you know you got to be careful of where you want to miss and it's typical Pete Dye design railroad ties a lot of false fronts uh, you know you have the mounds moguls there's bunkers on some holes that nobody ever hits in but they're there to intimidate <laughs> you and when you get up and hit a tee shot on a hole for the first time it doesn't look like you have much space and and uh, Meredith, you know this better. And when you don't commit to a shot, a lot of times you don't hit a good shot and they don't hit a good tee shot. But then when they get out there, they realize there's so much more space out there than it looked from mm -hmm. the tee box. But the next time they play it, then they feel more comfortable playing right. it. So it's a lot of fun, especially playing it the second time. That's great. Um, have you had a chance to meet any of the designers? Were, they, were any of them there on the day that it opened? Because I mean, I know you probably know hundreds of celebrities by <laughs> this point <laughs> with all the tournaments that you've hosted it out there and just in general yes um, I've met all the designers uh, unfortunately none of them were there the day we opened but mm -hmm. over time or shortly after that we were able to meet and uh, we had little grand opening parties depending on which uh, you know uh, Greg Norman obviously was there Davis Love has been there Tom Fazio and Pete Dye I probably uh, had more conversations with Pete Dye the first 10 years than any of them because he would stop by or um, phone calls and he was such a great man that when you called him and asked him questions or talked to him, uh, you didn't call if you only had 10 minutes to talk because he loved to chat and then his <laughs> wife would get on and chat with you. Aww. There were some good memories of just conversations that we had about the golf course and, and when he was building the golf course. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Dave. What, what, what's a conversation with Pete Dye like? I mean, <laughs> what? What do you, is there certain things that he wants to talk about? Or? Well, he asks about the course and, you know, how, how, what's people, he, he's very and in, in truly con concerned about what people think about the golf course you know what the members think about the golf course you know we talked about uh, he asked about the, you know the conditions and when we first opened the rough on the golf course was uh, kept real high and and it was it was too challenging you know and and we did reduce the heights on, on the centipede and and when you know when we talked to him about that he he totally understood he says yeah you don't you want people to enjoy their trip uh, you know, he, he said that, uh, you know, you find a lot of people. I said, we get people that are playing the wrong set of tees. And uh, he says, they're there, but they're there for the very few that should be using them. <laughs> you know, that type of conversation. You know, he and, and Alice was the same way. I think Alice was as big a part of, uh, of what he did, a bigger part of what he did than, than most people realize because he, she loved golf and she taught golf. And uh, she enjoyed just the conversations when we had where there were times I talked to him, he was on speaking microphone and talk to them both together and, and and it wasn't all just about golf course he would just ask you know ask about our owner how's how's mr Puglia doing you know how, how's everybody that people like working there how's the facility doing mm -hmm. you know he he was excited to be part of 
of the four four designers here at Barefoot. Did it surprise you how accessible he was? I mean, that's the first time I've heard you tell that story. And I mean, I, I guess, I don't know, you think of Pete Dye. He's a legendary figure in the game. He's designed, you know, I, I don't even know what the number is, but certainly some of the most prominent golf courses in America. And it, I, I guess I wouldn't have guessed that. Now, I, I was surprised the first time and um, didn't know if that was just a unique situation. But the conversations I had uh, with him after that were the same. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I wasn't talking to him every week, yeah, but it no, would be understood. once a year or, or you know maybe twice a year uh, at times when we had questions or we were talking about making some changes and, or we were inviting him to the Monday after the Masters or he was, uh, we had, uh, we're part of a, a book that was written uh, for Pete Dye of all his designs. And uh, he welcomed the opportunity to, I believe we sent him uh, books, I forget how many we sent him to sign uh he and uh signed by him and alice that we gave to our members uh you know and and he no problem get him here it might take me you know a month to get him back to you when you need him and i said that's that's fine he was just very very genuine did uh, did he have a favorite part of the of the die course here? He he never shared, he he enjoyed designing it, and I think part of it was he he enjoyed designing it when he had. Um, and I don't want maybe it's the wrong word saying competition, but he had other good. You know, Greg Norman had designed a lot of golf courses at that time. Obviously, Tom oh, Fazio yeah, had. Yeah. You know, uh, Davis Love. This was his first high budget design, and uh, you know, but it but he. You know, I think I've, I might have told you this in a past, Chris. Uh, after we opened up, the Love Course came out uh, top, number six in the country, best new upscale golf course. So uh, he did a good job. His design yeah. was very well liked and received by the customers that came here and, and actually got higher recognition, you know, at the beginning. Now, I think everybody's kind of... Uh, even that out over the years, you know, by different, uh, you know, uh, publications and things like that. But uh, he, he was excited to be part of uh, of what Mr. Puglia designed. Well, now you said, I mean, again, you know, just for me personally, 20 years, I mean, you do lose sight of, or it's easy to forget about the fact that those four golf courses opened at the same time. Um, is, was there a point when that, as you're going through this, that you looked around and were like, wow. And, you know, just not only with the opening, but then just as you move through the property, the way that it evolved, um, and you're kind of like, hey, we made it. Yeah, so, yeah, there was no doubt there. Uh, I think once we got through our first spring and we and we moved into the fall, we opened up the first clubhouse in uh, late September, early October of 2000. And, uh, yeah, I remember moving furniture into the clubhouse with, and it was with the Puglia family. I mean, they, we had people coming over with trucks, and they were right there. We were moving things into the clubhouse, and I looked at the clubhouse and kept saying, wow, this is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mr. Pulley and his wife both, you know, comment, "Where do you see the Die Clubhouse?" And I'm thinking, <laughs> how, you know, how can they top this? And uh, and they did. Yeah, <laughs> you can say they were wrong. And they did. I mean, it was it was even more beautiful. But uh, seeing people, you know, coming to work every day once the clubhouse was open and getting there five thirty six, getting ready to open, grabbing a cup of coffee and walking out on the back patio deck where you can oversee the 18th hole of Fazio and Love Course at the same time, and watching the sun come up. Uh, and in the same way over at the dive club once that clubhouse was open and you know and saying to myself man I'm 
the luckiest guy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I love my job, and to be able to be part of that, and and uh, you know, went from playing a lot of golf and competitive golf, but once I moved down here, my golfing days were over. Prior to moving down here, I still played, but not not as much as I used to. But uh, getting as much enjoyment out of uh, creating a memorable experience to the guests that showed up at Barefoot, it was as it was as enjoyable as it was playing golf myself. Well, and look, I mean, you guys have done an outstanding job with that. And I mean, speaking of memorable experiences, I mean, I always tell people when they're talking about it, I mean, to me, Barefoot is kind of the big event venue here in mm-hmm. Myrtle Beach. Um, and, you know, I mean, it started not long after y'all opened up. You hosted the Canadian tour that was televised by by Golf Channel. Um, you, we, Meredith had mentioned off the top hosting a big break Myrtle Beach. And, and of course, probably the biggest one is uh, is Monday after the Masters. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it's been like hosting that event? Do you have some particular memories from it? I mean, for, for people who may be listening that aren't aware, it's the, uh, the Hootie and the Blowfish Monday after the Masters. It's just celebrate well. We've played 25 of them. This year's unfortunately was not played, but we all look forward to its return next year. But, I mean, it's one of the, you know, the most prominent one-day celebrity golf tournaments in America. And, I mean, they've done an outstanding job, and I don't think I'm going too far out on a limb in saying that, that – an absolutely vital part of its success has been the die club in the venue there uh, I, I think you're right Chris uh, when they moved uh, they moved to Myrtle Beach to, to host this event and back in 2002 for the first time the the event was uh, it, it wasn't growing it was staying stagnant and they were looking at trying to jumpstart the event in in and continued making it bigger. Um, Myrtle Beach itself wrapped their arms around the event, Golf Holiday at that time. Uh, you know, they were real excited about, you know, let's make this a premier event in Myrtle Beach and something that we can do for a long time. So the first year was uh, was a challenge because uh, the first meeting, I think, was January with uh, obviously the event being the, the Monday after the Masters in uh, the, somewhere around the April 10th. There was a lot to do and being at the initial event and not having any experience with it. So I think we had a press uh, conference, I'm sorry to interrupt, maybe at the end of January, beginning of February at the, uh, at the House of Blues up there, if memory serves me correctly. That sounds correct, yes. Uh, so there, there was a lot. We ate, slept, and drank, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, Monday after the Masters that first year, but it, but it was a lot of fun, and uh, the event was very well received from from the Myrtle Beach community uh, it wasn't a sellout at that time but it it was better than they had been doing so from that point on uh, from that first year it just kept going forward and the to be able to uh, to get to know the band you know uh, once a year just to, to see them to come in and uh, you know the 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 event itself is a lot of fun I mean people are there to to party to play golf and to mm-hmm. relax and that time of year at, you know in April here at the beach we all know the weather is is beautiful it's uh, not too hot it's not cold it's just perfect to be outside and and watching some great golf and then both uh, you know the celebrities uh, the golf professionals over the years there's been an, uh, a great list of golf professionals um, I, I'll touch on probably uh, uh, my best memory is I remember the year Arnold Palmer played in it mm-hmm. uh, and he was being ushered to towards the clubhouse and I got a radio call to please meet um, meet him out front and make sure he gets in you know without there being too much of an issue so we took him a little shortcut and he you know and he was stopping and shaking hands and saying hello to everybody he wasn't going to walk by anybody yes he's the king but then we got him around the people and we got him in a clubhouse and you know he took a 
you know, took a deep breath and he wanted to go get something to eat. So we're walking to find him a table and we're walked through the dining room and we see an empty table pointed to it. And he said, that's perfect. And at that point, Tom Kite stood up and looked over to him and, and smiled. And he walked over and shook his hand and told him, boy, I'm glad you're here. Now I'm not the oldest guy in this room. <laughs> and Arnold <laughs> kind of like punched him in the shoulder for saying that. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's, you know, when that was one of the times probably that, uh, you know, when, and I sit here and, you know, you say you get goosebumps, but when you have somebody that has done so much for the game of golf and you have them right there in front of you at a tournament that you're hosting and watching the crowds that followed him all day long, you know, you know that's something special that you may not ever get to see again. Yeah, well, and he's a Pennsylvania guy like you, too, which had to, had to double up on yes, that. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, hey, look, I tell people, I mean, other than maybe Paul Graham, who runs the tournament, there is nobody in America who has seen more of the Monday after the Masters over the last 18 years than Dave. I mean, I, what time do you get there for that thing? Because it, it's got to be 2, 2.30? Uh, yes. Uh, we, I mean, a.m. too. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be about 4 a.m. in the beginning. It was 4 a.m. that last day, uh, the day of the event. But then, um, and I'm going to ballpark this back in 2010 or 11, uh, the great opportunity to have uh, Mike and Mike on the first tee starting at 6 a.m. Well, with Mike and Mike starting at 6 a.m., that their day started at 1.30 or 2. And, and Chris, you've met me there at 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the morning more than one time yeah, yourself. I've been there <laughs> So, <laughs> I've never beat David. <laughs> but uh, yes, and it, um, you know, and there's there's security checks and things like that. So the, the day starts uh, real early. Uh, there's a lot of preparation. Um, many of the people that have been there to help us put that on, the superintendent, uh, uh, Dwayne Whittle, has been with the die club since the very beginning. Uh, one year, he was on Fazio course in the beginning and then went to the die club. He's been there and he's done the event for 18 years. So there's not very many time, times that there's any meetings. If there's meetings it's usually because it's weather related that we're trying to figure out how to get the course ready or what we're going to do in case of, of of a rain delay or when there is a rain delay but uh, there's so many people that have helped put this on for the last 10 12 years that uh, we have a good team and the team uh, empire sports management uh, that puts on actually manages the event including paul klein uh alexa uh divine harding and and that team that uh frank antonelli who is is the owner and uh, manager of, of uh, Empire Sports, they, they've done this event the entire time. So they have uh, a crew that knows what they're doing, knows what to expect, knows what the hours are, and they, they pace themselves and manage their time <laughs> to make sure that they're, they're, uh, they're going to make it through the week just like all of us. They do. They do a great job. But, I mean, I'm not just saying this because you're here. I mean, that, that venue is a significant part mm -hmm. of, of the event's success. I mean, if, if nothing else, right, like I built stadium-style courses, which actually makes it one of the one of the few courses here that's kind of receptive to having a crowd of five or six thousand yeah. people in there. I, I agree, Chris, and and you know, and to have the accommodations uh, different different levels of accommodations right there on site, and then just a short shuttle ride to go to the House of Blues and in the concert, which um, I, I know Chris has been there, uh, Meredith. I don't know if you've made it to concerts at the House of Blues during Monday Believe it or not, Master. I have been to like eight. Of I, but not House of Blues. I've been to the day of on the course, but okay. I have never been to the House of Blues. Well, you you need to put that on your bucket list. Because well, when it's somebody a lot invites me, I will. <laughs> we'll have to make sure that happens. I haven't been invited. I'm not special. <laughs> well, there's uh there's been a lot of years that after at the end of that week, not in the beginning. I I 
back and I was younger back 20 years ago but <laughs> there wasn't an event whether it was Saturday night Sunday or Monday that I didn't attend because I felt you know I had to attend right. I really didn't have to but I felt I had to attend yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> and then come you know Monday night after the concert uh, you know it was it it was a, a great ending to mm-hmm. a long week and uh, you know one of the best and I'll touch on it memories I have there I talked to Chris about it is uh, you know they've had a lot of different entertainers there but the the year meatloaf was there and when he got up on stage and the place got quiet and he sang, saying I would do anything for love uh, I mean the place just erupted and it was unbelievable wow. and, and he's one of many many entertainers that ha- have sang but uh, you know depending on your age group and your generation mm-hmm. you know you 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 gravitate towards one versus right. another but it, it was a wonderful experience and it is e- each year when the when they all get on stage and sing songs together football players baseball players basketball players comedians uh, entertainers and Darius and the the entire band it's it's gives you goosebumps about right. that you got to get there Mary. i know i need to well this event i mean it's it sells out every year and you have amazing volunteers you know i want to give a little shout out to the volunteers so many people that come out there and help um, i have a lot of friends that volunteer and really enjoy that event um, but it's selling out so if somebody's listening and they want to attend maybe next year do they when when do the tickets sell when when can people be a part of that and where can they go to get more information well, it is a great event you, you want i mean you know everybody needs to experience by yes. the end of the masters i i agree 100 percent. the tickets usually go on sale late february and they they're on live nation and at each clubhouse so if you're not here in uh myrtle beach but you want to come you can get on online and you can purchase the tickets mm-hmm. uh if you are here in myrtle beach uh they start selling in the clubhouses and it's usually advertised so news carries it the golf courses advertise it um and uh, you know that's uh the the beach in general uh advertises it so you know it's not something you want to wait till a week after the tickets go mm-hmm. on sale you might not want to wait one day yeah you yeah. don't uh last last two years i think we sold out the second date that years prior wow. to that they were sold out within a couple hours uh so uh you, it's something you want to do earlier mm-hmm. if you want to volunteer uh, you would go to hootygolf.com and they have signed up for volunteers mm-hmm. i believe it's 450 to 500 volunteers a year yeah, i knew it was a, a huge amount of volunteers that, that go out there and, and meredith you're right without them this this event wouldn't happen and uh and we get so many of them that have done the same thing year mm-hmm. after year and they don't and they don't want to miss it they, right. it's their highlight of the year yeah so. i know i well, i have a lot of friends that are volunteers um, some of them semi-retired and they'll literally fly down to volunteer for this event like they love that event mm-hmm. and anybody going um, you need to make sure you wear sunscreen I, that's one thing I've learned over the years attending that if you don't put on sunscreen you'll get burned because you're gonna be out in the sun all day sunscreen bring cash because the food and drinks are amazing I mean the vendors that you have out there um, just a ton ton of options uh, when you're out there and uh, just be prepared to have fun and bring a camera because there's so many opportunities, right, to meet celebrities. They're very accessible, and that's the one aspect I love about the event is, you know, it gives the crowd a chance to really engage. You almost feel a part of it when you're there. So it, it, it really is a special event that you have. 
It is. And it's the people that play in it, uh, they go out of their way to, to make themselves available for the uh, spectators. And the spectators, I think that's, for that reason alone, is why so many people like to come, because they don't get a chance to get that close and see see the people mm-hmm. uh, that genuine and talking to them and having that time. And, and that, that carries on into the concert, and that's, Meredith, you'll see that if you go next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jim Furyk comes to mind, he and his wife. Uh, we, the staff some of us you know go to the concert at, you know after the final day and we normally we get there late because of all the cleanup and we normally go to the top floor of the house of blues and there's a bar up on top where you can't see real well it's it's so crowded down below already but but you can hear the music and you can enjoy it and uh, year after year that you know like uh, Jim Furyk and his wife they walk around the crowd and I think they do every floor we see him almost every year he plays and he walks over and then he recognizes us and thanks us and the staff is great course is great thanks for you know helping with this event and I believe Darius you know reciprocates with Mr. Furyk and plays in Jim Jim and his wife have a charity event mm-hmm. and they play in it and I think at times they've the band has uh, has played at his event which wow. uh, they help each other and oh, I think great. that's great to see that yeah that is when you know a lot of the things you've talked about that have have helped make you barefoot such a good host for the Monday after the Masters that you know the golf courses there the proximity of accommodations and entertainment with barefoot landing being just across the water there I mean those are really a lot of the same things that attract golf groups too um, you know is because as the property has evolved it's, it's one of the few here in Myrtle Beach where you can kind of stay and play all on the same site you're right, Chris, and that's what I think uh, the people that are coming down for that three-night, four-round or that four-night, four-round package, uh, that's what they enjoy. And, you know, when you you step up on the, on the 15th, the Norman course, and you, you say, boy, this re- you can't say this reminds me of the sixth hole on the Fazio course, there's no similarities. <laughs> there are four completely different designs, and it's almost like you're going to a different world, and you're just traveling left instead of right uh, when you leave the backdrop area. So I I think it's unique, Uh, you know, the fact that they can come in and, you know, we have the two clubhouses. They can leave the Norman course and jump in their car and go over and play the die course if they choose, have lunch either place. We have a cabana outside at the resort in the spring that is just, um, I mean, it's nothing to sell, you know, 400 hamburgers and and hot dogs and we have music playing there and the people just enjoy being out in the sun because they haven't seen it for a long time. Yeah, and for people who haven't been, I mean, that cabana is one of my favorite things. I mean, I love coming up there. You smell the burgers coming off, (laughs) people having a couple cold beers between rounds. I mean, it really, I mean, as much as anything is a focal point, it it, to me is kind of the essence of what a a buddy's golf trip is. It is. It's right there. You're surrounded by three golf courses, the beauty of 18 Mm -hmm. there on Fazio, and you're you're just all having a good time. Yeah, and I mean, you get to see a lot of the golfers uh, that they put their clubs away, they finish, and then they go to the cabana, and then they have a burger, and they have, as you said, a couple beers, and then somebody in that group's, hey, Joe and I will go play you two. Let's go play another nine. You know, they have the emergency <laughs> nine, and that happens all the time, you know. And now we're not going back out, but a beer later, and then all of a sudden they're getting their clubs back out of the trunk of their car, and they're back out uh, back out on a golf course enjoying another nine holes on, on a golf course that they just played today or one that they're going to play tomorrow, and they get kind of a preview of what they're going to see. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, like, awesome. and then that cabana to me is just another step in the evolution of the property. There, I know it's been there for a while, but you know, we we've talked a lot about things that have happened there over the previous twenty years. What do you What do you see twenty years into the future? I was Fairfoot? getting ready to ask him that. <laughs> I right. literally had that. Qu- you stole my question. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good question. That's a great question. Uh, you know, most of Barefoot, when, when I came 20 years ago, there was one building uh, started, uh, one condo building that had 12 units in it. Now there's over 3,400 rooftops inside of Barefoot. So Barefoot itself, uh, the majority of the development within the Barefoot community is completed. They're still doing a little bit on a waterway. They're just getting started on that. Uh, but I- as far as Barefoot itself, I, I you know, uh, we're, we're this year alone we're redoing bridges uh we're replanking bridges because you know it's hard to believe but we're 20 years old and and when you put a lot of golfers through a course you're having to keep up we're modifying some of the courses we've uh, done away with some bunkers uh we had some bunkers and i use fazio course for for the example that uh greenside bunkers with steep slopes that through 20 years of uh, excessive rains and hurricanes where the distance between the top of the bunker and the green has diminished, mm-hmm. you know, 50%. And if that continues, then uh, a severe storm in the future, you could lose, lose part of the of the green complex. Mm-hmm. So we've had to fill in a few bunkers to do that. Uh, but keeping the golf course as far as the playability, it's not taken away from the pe- playability of the golf course. A certain angle, maybe, that, uh, that you looked at that hole looked a little better with that that deep bank but um but it it was a necessity to do that i think um the game of golf in general you know the golf courses are managing the courses in a way where they're trying to manage the courses and manage their budgets uh, areas that are not playable areas are being a managed difference maybe planted where they're not upkept anymore where it was an area that we that we mowed whether it was rough or even some places that were fairway that weren't in play they were left of a tee box those areas are being managed differently with uh, um, you know wildflowers things like that doesn't take away from the look of the golf course but it saves some time to be able to concentrate on other things on the golf course uh, well we will continue to re- we're rebuilding bunkers every year uh, will we continue that's probably something that 20 years from now we'll still be doing because you, you know when you're looking at a total of 400 bunkers on on four golf courses it's not a it's not an endeavor you're going to take on all at one wow, time. Wow, 400? You, you do it all at once. You said 400. Yes. So you all really hate rain. <laughs> well, yes, we, we, we hate. And that, that's the other thing. There were bunkers that were not in play, but when it rained, I mean, they washed out, and you had a lot of work to do. So, um, you know, if you came out and you had four golf courses and you and after a hurricane and you have all that washout, you know, you have customers that are going to be there playing within a few days, hopefully, and to try to get them to the point where, visually the customer doesn't see you know you, you want the golf course to be visually appealing to the customer and they understand that the day after a hurricane or the day after three or four or five inches of rain like we get here at the beach but uh but a week later um you know their question wow it hasn't rained for four days i wonder why it isn't pushed up so we're trying to manage it to pro- to, to provide the best product possible on a regular basis on a given day that, that we can do the best we can to, to have that course in good shape for. Well, I want to conclude with uh, Chris. I want to give you a shout out. You've covered uh, Barefoot Resort, their courses. You and Ian, our other writer um, at NBN.com. 
just a few of the amazing articles that you've written. I mean, Dave, you've given us so much information, and, and Chris, you, you know so much about the Barefoot courses as well, but the recent article you did, 20 Years of Barefoot Resort, Pontoon Boats, Big Break, Hootie, and the Great Golf, that was really a great article, and we have that for our listeners at nbn.com if you want to go check that out. That out. Also, uh, you and Ian uh, did an expert debate, Barefoot Golf and Resort's Best Course, and and also uh, the North End versus the South End. That was really good, and Barefoot was included on that. And then, Chris, the five hardest shots in Myrtle Beach Golf. You mentioned the par three, number 15, on the Die Club um, as one of the toughest, uh, 162 yards from the white tees, eight bunkers around the green, eight out of the 400. Do you have options <laughs> on the course? And I've walked in all eight of those. <laughs> and you've walked in all eight. And then Ian did one, uh, the best par threes along the North Strand. So we definitely uh, recognize uh, Barefoot Resort and Golf as just an amazing facility. And what you guys have done there, Dave, uh, you are just the perfect person. No wonder why you've been there for over 20 years, because you certainly uh, know what you're doing over there. And uh, people just continued to to get out there and play those courses and absolutely uh, so many people love barefoot uh, resort club so thanks for coming on the show today is there anything that you'd like to uh, tell our listeners well um, if you're one of those people that haven't been at barefoot resort uh, we would love to have you come down and, and give one or all four of our courses a try I don't think you'll be disappointed so we hope that maybe we can see you sometime in the future and Meredith, Chris, both of you, thank you very much for having me on. It was very kind what you just said. Uh, it's very much appreciated. And, you know, and uh, there, there's something to be said to uh, if you love your job, uh, you really embrace it. And, and myself and many of the people that work for us, uh, you know, it's this isn't the success of Barefoot isn't a one person job. It's because mm-hmm. of having a really good team. And, and since day one, we've been very fortunate to have a really good team. And, uh, and that's the reason for our success success now in the past now and hopefully in the future yeah well the team is a reflection of the leader so well done Dave and uh, we need to get out there Chris maybe you and I can go play I know you said you wanted some uh, help with your golf game a couple months ago (laughs) maybe we can get out there and play and I can give you a few pointers we'll have to do it because at this point (laughs) I may need a complete resurrection (laughs) (laughs) all right guys uh, thanks so much and everyone listening uh, thanks for joining in today